Okay, so here's what I, I want to do. Now I kind of want to... Tom McGowan, and again, if you should share the link if you haven't. Uh, I want to hit these bullet points that, that he gives in his lectures because it's the clearest and most straightforward way of talking about this stuff. And here I want to show the kind of historical development this concept has had and then because we're going to go from Freud on death drive to Lacan on death drive to Zizek on death drive and then there's some other examples at the end I would like to discuss so I think the stuff at the end is actually going to be some of the more uh, the, some of the stuff that's more fun to discuss um, so I, I want to get through this as quickly as we can I don't know I don't want to rush but uh, I just I'm saying I want to have us uh, I want it uh, want us for us to have enough time to discuss these points at the end of this lecture. So cool. We've got 30 people with us right now. Holy. Oh, awesome. we... Okay, so again, I owe this uh, entirely to Todd McGowan's excellent lecture. And again, I was going to try to put together my own bullet points, but I'm like, screw it. He he nailed it. So uh, let's just hit these bullet points. So again. Uh, death drive has to do with this impulse in us where we don't act for our pleasure. We don't act for our own good. Um, death drive has to do with our actions that um, undermine ourselves, undermine others, undermine our society, undermine our stability. And so death drive is a kind of destruction for the sake of destruction, self-destruction, uh, societal destruction. And that sounds bad, but as we start to flesh this out, we start to see that that actually can be great, too. It depends on the context and the situation. So, Death Drive, uh, it, the, this concept is first developed in, by Freud in his Beyond the Pleasure Principle, which was released in 1920. And it, it caused this radical shift in the history of psychoanalysis. We could even think that there's before Beyond the Pleasure Principle and after Beyond the Pleasure Principle. It was that much of a paradigm shift because, again, up until this point, Freud had only thought in terms of pleasure or displeasure. Uh, and by displeasure, I mean pain, like actual pain that we would just avoid at all costs. And it's in this book that he starts to discover something else is going on with us, Amazing. and that is Death Drive. Mm. And... So he discovers death drive by focusing on certain clinical experiences he has with his patients. He sees in his patients that they do certain things that make absolutely no sense when viewed from the perspective of the pleasure principle. He's going, okay, these actions, these behaviors do not, uh, they do not produce pleasure. They produce the opposite. And yet what's bizarre about it is that it's not like they're doing this by accident. It's like they're repeating these things over and over again as if they enjoy these actions. And yet these actions are not pleasurable. They produce an overabundance of stimulation or excitation, uh, and yet they seem enjoyable. And so uh, that's where he starts to get this concept. And one of the big examples is... Uh, you know, his patients would often repeat or relive certain traumatic experiences, which caused them a great deal of suffering. But this cannot be accounted for by appealing to the pleasure principle. So, of course, the famous example from this book is the war neuroses, or we call it PTSD. Back then, they call it shell shock. 
where the guys who were in World War One witnessed and lived through absolutely horrible traumatic experiences and yet at night you know dreaming all this they would constantly go back there they constantly repeat this and this kind of repeating experiences that are painful or displeasurable uh, seems to contradict the pleasure principle right because you're constantly you as an ego right you you don't have control of this but you as a psyche right your your unconscious is constantly making you relive things that from the perspective of pleasure or comfort or stability you don't want to relive and so he sees this form of repetition as like this leads him to formulate the death drive and there's also the example of negative therapeutic reaction which is somebody's been in psychoanalysis for many years they've made a lot of progress they've uh, gotten certain problems under control and then right as they can feel like they're approaching the end of the analysis they totally fucking regress they totally undermine all of the progress they've made and it's like they start it's like oh we gotta start analysis all over again and so these two examples really bothered Freud and he couldn't make sense of them within his conceptual framework of the time and he was like okay I, I these don't fit within my framework I've got to rethink my basic framework and <clears throat> so uh, the search for an explanation of these clinical phenomena uh, leads him to discover the death drive so whereas pleasure the pleasure principle eliminates or evacuates excitation from the psyche death drive produces and intensifies this excitation the most basic way death drive builds excitation is through repetition especially especially repetition compulsion and you know it's like even just like in a bodily movement like if you like move your arm the same way over and over and over again it like builds up excitation in your arm and yeah, at some point obviously you stop but he's saying like you can see how repetition actually builds excitation in the body and in the psyche uh, it, somehow like it's it's the motor of intensification so he's gonna he, he links death drive to repetition but then he kind of drops it uh, in beyond the pleasure principle but Lacan and Zizek they'll often link jouissance and death drive to repetition but uh, we'll get there in a minute so so, so well, I'll go ahead. really okay. quick I, I think um, uh, Dr. McGowan had said, like, I think right at the beginning of that lecture, if I remember right, it's, it, def it kind of gave a, a definition of death drive that I wanted to write on the board, but I wanted to make sure I had it right before I wrote it down. Um, okay. I think it was doing something not for pleasure or your own well-being or against your own well-being. Yeah, I right? mean, yeah, I'm not exactly sure that's verbatim, but that's his point. Yeah, it's okay. where death drive is doing something in a way that's self-sabotaging that goes against your self-interest goes against your well-being hmm. no and so this is one of the things that Lacan and Zizek will uh, reject about Freud's concept of the death drive so Freud argues that death drive seeks an inorganic state which is to say actual death or the state of not being alive right being a corpse um, because to die is to basically 
it's to lose the ability to even lose, right? And Death Drive enjoys not getting its object. I, again, we haven't really fleshed that out yet. It doesn't. Uh, that straight up doesn't make sense to me. So we do need to. Well, yeah. we're, we're, we got to get down to the difference between desire and drive in a in a moment. But basically, it's just it's like Gijek said earlier. Uh, drive does not want your actual death. It wants a kind of life beyond symbolic death like it wants to crash your symbolic world your being in the world your life world your stability your social self right because your social self operates within the confines of law within the confines of limitation right it it, it wants to crash all that but it doesn't mean it wants to cease to exist entirely and so that's why zizek says that death drive wants life but it doesn't want our everyday lives right what we think of as life it wants this life of the undead, of just the pure pursuit of enjoyment, right? And that's why he likens it to a zombie. So oh. that's where Lacan and Zizek disagree with Freud. There's, they would say, no, Death Drive does not want to literally kill us. Now, here's, the, here's an important takeaway. Death Drive can obviously accidentally, indirectly kill us, uh, there's all kinds of things that we can do that's self-destructive to our health, well-being, uh, financial security, all these kind of things, right? Uh, gambling, right? Somebody who has a gambling addiction, right? Uh, yeah, it, the death drive might not be focused on uh, actually killing the person or think about alcoholism, right? It might not be focused on actually killing the person, but this excessive enjoyment it gets from the abuse of alcohol or the the enjoyment it gets from the abuse of gambling can lead to your death. Uh, so even though it doesn't directly seek actual death, it can produce that inadvertently. But what it really wants is just to continue enjoying in this kind of dumb zombie-like state uh, beyond all social confines and social restrictions and uh, stuff like that. Okay, no, just before we move on. So again, just sake of clarification, Zizek and uh, Lacan and Zizek reject Freud because they think that his concept of death drive ends up being too literal or too biological. That That's not what death drive is after. It's not after biological death. It's not after our literal demise, uh, even though it can inadvertently lead to that. So towards the end of Beyond the Pleasure Principle, Freud <laughs> really makes this bizarre assertion and I almost think that Lacan, Zizek, McGowan, they go for this. Uh, I don't want to say that for sure, but he implies that after all of these new observations and his his new reconceptualization of libidinal economy in light of the death drive, he thinks that maybe death drive is actually primary in human beings and the pleasure principle is secondary. And so the idea would be, the pleasure principle actually is there just to serve death drive. Well, how would that be the case? Well, if death drive's primary drive or impulse is to build up excitation, at some point the excitation needs to be evacuated. But it's like, oh, pleasure the pleasure principle gets rid of the excitation just so death drive can build it back up. And again, this is a really radical switch in his view of libidinal economy. Um, so death drive, another way to put this is death drive is giving yourself trouble 
in order to sustain excitation, right? So you think about it, say pleasure wants to achieve a certain state, uh, attain a certain object, so as to release, uh, relieve excitation, to get rid of excitation. Death drive will start putting all these hurdles in your way at an unconscious level. At a conscious level, you're not aware of it. But death drive, it's like I, that example I used earlier where you're trying to finish an essay, but you keep having this impulse to go sit, watch TV, and you try to rash, you know, justify it to yourself. But really, it's like death drive just enjoys uh, uh, kind of excitation. So, um, if, if you know, you're really stressed out, right? You're really in a rush to finish the essay. Well, if you actually finish it, you'll feel relieved and you'll calm down. So in a weird way, <laughs> Death Drive doesn't want you to finish the essay so you can maintain this level of excitation in your body. And so a lot of the things we do, we give ourselves trouble. We put hurdles in our paths just for the sake of prolonging the path. And, uh, but it's, it's interesting too. So Freud came to this concept of death drive very late in his career. And he uses it again in a 1929 book called Civilization and Its Discontents. And what's interesting there is he he starts to link death drive to aggression that now it takes on an even more brutal or violent conceptualization. And so, uh, as McGowan puts it, uh, Freud will conceptualize death drive, Thanatos, as the aggression that threatens to disrupt and break apart society. He says that pleasure or eros is a unifying force that holds society together. In his book, Thanatos and Eros take on an almost cosmic dimension. So it's weird. It's almost like Freud uh, flirts with a kind of cosmic dualism between eros and Thanatos. And... Uh, I'm sure that certain psychologists, certain psychoanalysts like this idea of reading these two impulses into the universe itself. Um, but I don't, th I don't think uh, Lacan, Zizek, or McGowan would go for that. But it's worth noting that Freud, he almost gives them a, a cosmic uh, significance. Yeah, and I can I I totally see how... Uh, so you're saying... You're saying you're not sure if they do that, though? If yeah, doing... I don't think Lacan or Zizek, I think they'd say, look, these are human aspects. They're parts of who we are, but let, let's not read these kind of uh, tendencies into the universe itself. On top of, I mean, in part, when you look at nature, I mean, at least uh, animals, they don't seem to have death drive operating in them. They seem to operate according to pleasure on some level. But, I mean, you don't... If you were using a Deleuzian Guattarian metaphysics, though, it'd be like this is just this is just this is an everything. It's just territorialization, re-territorialization, you know, right? Wouldn't they? Yeah, but, here, but here's the whole thing. Like the whole thing centers around states of pleasure and states of jouissance. Well, at the end of the day, there's some sort of experiencer there, and I don't think trying to write this stuff into how rocks get produced by nature. Hmm. I, I see why they would be hesitant to go like, okay, now we're reading. It's almost, I, maybe they would say, here's the problem with this is 
these are psychoanalytic concepts we use to have a certain effectiveness in the clinic. Hmm. The second we try to take these concepts outside of the, the clinical setting um, or even outside of doing social analysis, now we're setting psychoanalysis up to be a kind of metaphysics or it, like the discourse of all discourses. And that would be a move they would all reject. Okay. They don't, they, they wouldn't, it's like making the psychoanalysis into the other of the other, right? The, okay. the meta narrative, the, you know, and I, I think they would say like, this is, this is the problem that all discourses seem to have. They all want to make themselves the discourse. Science wants to do it. Um, religion wants to do it. And so I think they would avoid this because the whole point for psychoanalysis, at least for Lacan, is to bring the analysis and to realize there is no other of the other. There's no nothing that has all the final answers. The big other doesn't exist. We talk about the big other, and of course there's, and for somebody new who's listening, by big other, we just, just think about the social order. Think about language and our rules and customs and laws and all these kind of things, right? Um, it's through language, it's through our societal structures that we make sense of our world and all of this, but every social order, every symbolic network is always lacking, it's always missing something. Uh, it, a good example of this is when you hear neuroscience trying to explain love. Well, you can talk about all the neurons that fire and you can do all the mechanics of it, but it never does justice to what it is to be in love. Mm -hmm. And you either you, you kind of need poetry to do that, right? Mm. Or art. And this is one of the, the temptations that most of these discourses have is they want to be the discourse that explains everything else mm -hmm. and occupy this kind of master position. But again, just like we talked about earlier, the figure of the master is always lacking. Uh, they're always castrated. So is every field of discourse or uh, area of study or whatever you want to call them. Uh, basically, psychology can't answer everything. Science, you know, Biology can't answer everything. Uh, Christianity can't answer everything and that's kind of the point of this is uh, they wouldn't want psychoanalysis to be given this status that because they're always trying to undermine this status as such it's not that Freud actually does this he just kind of it's like he tiptoes in that direction of writing Thanatos and Eros into the fabric of the cosmos itself I mean it's almost like uh, Taoism, right? Yin mm -hmm. and Yang and all that. And it's it's not that they're dismissing that. They're just saying, this is not what psychoanalysis is cut out for, okay. I think they would argue. Okay, gotcha. So, okay, here's some basic quotes just to support what I've said so far. So, you know, I'm big on quotes. I like seeing these thinkers say this stuff for themselves. And so uh, Freud says in Beyond the Pleasure Principle, uh, and this is a very good definition of pleasure, or pleasure principle. He says, <clears throat> the pleasure principle then is a tendency operating in the service of a function whose business it is to free the mental apparatus entirely from excitation or to keep the amount of excitation in a constant or to keep it as low as possible. So I've been saying that the whole time, but there it is in Freud's own words, right? It's all about maintaining a, a, a low level of excitation or getting rid of excitation and um, 
obviously death drive goes in the other direction. So, mm. and then, um, uh, as I said earlier, he, he acts like in this work that maybe death drive is primary. And again, we got to remember the mistranslation of the word Trebe here, but he says the pleasure principle seems actually to serve the death instincts, death drives. And so, uh, that's an interesting thought. Um, I, in, I mean, in that they hold each other together for, you know, is no, that... it's, it's the idea that, you know, the pleasure principle had been primary for Freud for 20 years of his career. And it had held like the central position in his theory of libidinal economy. And he's saying, well, well maybe the, the whole functioning of pleasure principle, which is to get excitation out of the body actually is there just to serve the 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 impulse of death drive like death drive wants to keep on building up and intensifying excitation so maybe pleasure principles only purpose is to get excitation out of the body just so death drive can build it up again In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're going to be all over the area there hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state. Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything and it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy whereas other people want to take you out and show you around 
And so if you're interested in being a volunteer, host, or guide, we have a special form for that. So please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you, touch base with the local community. And if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Boulderlard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. And yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Theory Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the university by Carl Jaspers, dedicated forum. Slavoj Zizek's For They Don't Know What They Do, dedicated forum. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces, is that ability to return, to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors 
If you want to donate, go to theory-underground.com forward slash support. Thank you.